Everyone, welcome to the brand new season of the Digital Adopter Show. Your go-to podcast for inspiring stories of execution and growth. I am Shashwala Sir, working as a senior customer success manager at Wattfix, and I would be the host today. With season four, we will be venturing into uncovering fresh perspectives and engaging in a thought-provoking discussion, bringing you insights from top industry leaders. In today's episode, we'll explore digital innovations and insurance insights trends beyond 2024. So, to discuss the same, we are joined here today by a very special guest. We have Casey Everett, who is the director, claim strategy at the Chenrel. Now, without any further delay, let's first get to know about our guest. So, Casey is currently serving as the director of claim strategy at the Chenrel, which is part of American Family Insurance. With over 20 plus years of American family insurance, he has excelled in various roles, showcasing his expertise in claims management and strategic development. From his early days as a casualty claim desk adjuster to his impactful tenure as a regional DRP auto branch claims manager, Casey has driven innovation and efficiency. His leadership in developing strategies for auto glass and rental brands. Led to significant profit growth and operational improvements. In his current role, Casey combines his analytical skills and operational insights to foster strong B two B relationship and enhance service strategies, making him a key player in the industry. Well, that was a lot, right? So let's hear from the main man, Casey. Welcome to the show, Casey. How does it feel? What an introduction! Thank you, Shreya. Really, truly a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the invitation. I appreciate the welcome. Awesome. That sounds good. So I know I would be kind of having a lot of grilling questions for you. Some of it would be fun as well. So you can just pack yourself with the questions that I have for you now. Okay. So now in this particular season, we have introduced a new segment, which is the digital pulse. So again. Before we dive into a lot of our discussions, let's just understand what this digital pulse is. So this is where we try to connect the dots between passion and profession, and I'm sure everyone has a lot of passion that kind of correlates to the profession. So let's uncover, you know, how individual journeys shape visionary leadership. Let's say for me as well, you know, there would be something that I like about customer success that I'm here, you know, doing this podcast with you. So, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, and is there a passion or activity outside of work that's particularly close to your heart? Yeah. So, uh, clearly, as described, I'm a bit of an insurance geek, a self-proclaimed insurance geek from that perspective. So, you know, a career that I really sort of fortuitously fell into uh, that really has been so rewarding in many ways. Working for the American Family Group, specifically for the general. Again, uh, brings so much and has been so rewarding for me in engaging on a number of levels. I, I work in the claim side specifically, as was yep. referenced, uh, which is a very dynamic environment. There's always uh, new things happening, new challenges, new opportunities from that perspective. So it's so grateful for the opportunities that I have to work where I do and be, be a part of the general at this point in time. Uh, on a personal note, you know, I've got three amazing kids at home. I've got a wonderful wife, a Frenchy oh. dog that she ever rules the roost in her home. Unfortunately, we call him our be the dog. Uh, from that, we we live on the foothills of the mountains in Utah, you know. With that, so you know, I, I get the pleasure of looking out my window at the beautiful mountains every single day. Uh, you know, in terms of personal passions outside of work, my wife would tell you I have way too many hobbies and interests. I'm a DIYer. Uh, I play guitar. I'm a photographer. Oh. But I would tell you when I'm not at work, specifically right now, when I'm not at work, where you can generally find me is up in the mountains. 
Uh, right now we're in the middle of snow ski season out there. And so, you know, my days off right now are spent sliding down the mountain, diving those ski slopes with my kids and trying to keep up with them uh, anymore. So kind of a fun challenge and fun activity that keeps us busy when I'm not working. Amazing. And there were a couple of things you mentioned because I'm surprised I also love mountains. Now, I think I spoke about it earlier. And the other thing that I do is I also play guitar. So oh, I was really? just surprised. Yeah. That's great. I've played guitar for many years, self-taught. So um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm any good, but I enjoy it. It's another stress reliever. It's my therapy. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I currently work in the night shift. So every time, you know, I go back, I make sure, you know, I at least have my guitar in the hand to kind Absolutely. of just be by myself. And I love it. So yeah, great I'm to know. We have to pass that on to my next generation, you know, and to my children. So hopefully they'll <laughs> pick and take it on. That's amazing. I think I can, I think we can start some sessions post we are done with our work, you know, that kind of keeps us engaged. Okay. Let's do it. Okay, now... This was just to kind of understand a bit more about, a fa about your passion. So next on that we have is the rapid fire section. So we have kind of revamped our rapid fire round and we call it triple strike, where we ask our guests three quirky questions and expect a fun answer to get deeper glimpse into their mind. So I hope you are just ready, Casey, to be kind of triple strike. I, I hope I don't strike out, but let's go. I'm ready. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. Awesome. Okay. Now I have one very interesting question for you. So if you could have a giant billboard anywhere with anything on it, what it would say and why? Yeah. Interesting question. You know, I think my mind goes immediately to one of my favorite television shows and you may have some listeners. They're also a fan of this television show. It's Ted Lasso. Uh, one of my favorite shows for a number of reasons. And for those that are not familiar, uh, it's a show about a, a football or a soccer coach that sort of is transplanted into the world of professional soccer. You know, this is an individual that really, uh, I think, is, you know, showcases a number of strong leadership skills. Uh, he's a very inspiring and positive leader, someone that really uh, makes the best out of those around him. So just a, you know, a great role model and a lot of different applications and a lot of different But one of the quotes he shares in, I think, the first season, he credits Walt Whitman for this quote, but he says in that, in that episode, he says, be curious, not judgmental. And I think there's so much power in that statement, right? Not only for our society in general, we live in such a polarized society that has such an opportunity to learn from each other and lean into our different perspectives and our diversity and things like that. But I also think about it in terms of the leadership application, right? As a leader, making sure that I'm approaching things with curiosity, that I'm leaving my arrogance at the door, that I'm asking the right questions, right? Making my questions more impactful. So yeah. not only help lead the people around me, but also solve those business challenges that we face every day. There's such a huge and immense amount of power in the question why, right? So coming from a place of curiosity is such a powerful force for innovation and for improvement and for tackling those yeah. challenges. I, I just really believe when leaders lead with curiosity, that remarkable things are possible. So, so I think that billboard would be be curious, not judgmental. Again, stealing that from Ted Lasso. Very nicely articulated. And curiosity is the key to a lot of questions. So I have always been curious to ask questions and, you know, kind of never hesitated. So that's true. When you're curious, you get to learn a lot from others and really great insights in that aspect, Casey. That I think I'm going to imply this on my day-to-day -day life for sure. I think I need to write that on my whiteboard while I'm working. Be sure. Now, uh, this one uh, thing that I see, there are a lot of cars behind you. So I am bound to ask you that question. So yes. 
if your car collection came to life which is like a to toy story style which model you think would be the leader and why yeah i know it's an interesting question i've got i think about 50 cars that surround me i think you can see a small portion of them oh, cool. i mean in frame there but i've collected about 50 that surround me in the office oh, here and i've got cars of all types i've got lamborghinis and I've got uh, muscle cars and I've got even a lifted uh, Mont school bus um, in front of me over here. So all different types uh, from that. But I would say, you know, thinking about it from that perspective, it's an interesting question. You know, I would probably point to the first car that I was given and I'll, and I'll, I'll even grab it here. This, this was a gift mm -hmm. to me years and years ago from one of my employees. And it's a, oh. it's a Samba style Volkswagen bus. Uh, it probably wouldn't be the most obvious choice as you see maybe some of the cars behind me, but I think it is perhaps maybe to use a metaphor a little bit emblematic of the leader that I want to be uh, from mm -hmm. that standpoint. I just see leadership uh, with that, not only because it's the oldest one on my shelf, um, but also, you know, the, the VW bus, there's a quiet subtlety about it, right? It's mm -hmm. not, it's not ostentatious. It's very confident in who it is and it has a very distinct style but it really leaves room for others on my shelf to shine, right? I mean, we talk about the Lamborghinis and the muscle cars, <laughs> such dominant personalities, right? But yeah. the, the, the Volkswagen bus here, again, is confident in, in who it is distinct, but again, it lets others, you know, flex their muscles in terms of who they are and, and, and you know, be represented that way. So, so I think that would be, if, if we had to put it in that context, I think that'd be my choice for my leader on the shelf here. And I loved your thought. I thought you're going to pick up some luxury car, which is behind you. Or, you know, I'm just fascinated with those black cars that I can see behind you on the top shelf. So I just assume it's going to be some luxurious, but coming to know, you know, that it has a lot of story behind it, the car that you chose. It's really yeah. great. That's always been my favorite, just for, you know, personal reasons and sentimental reasons. But, you know, again, I think there's a leadership application there potentially too. So to your question. Nice. I think I'm, I'm, I'm going one of those cars and I'm pretty sure I'm going to take one of it once I meet you in person. Okay. So uh, that was about the car. Okay. Now another interesting question. So if you had to invite a historical or a fictional figure, who would you invite for a dinner party and what would you serve them? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I, you know, I think you could probably go a million different directions with this question for sure. You know, let me, let me preface my answer with this. One of the things you don't know about me that we've not talked about is that I have a background in graphic design and I've always been such a huge fan of Apple as a company and Macintosh computers uh, from that. So, you know, as I, as I think about this question, my mind immediately goes to Steve Jobs. And I'm not sure, maybe it's too early to call him a historical figure yet. I'm going to qualify it nonetheless. Steve Jobs has always been such a visionary yeah. and inspirational leader for me for a variety of reasons, because, you know, and I think in part, because he looked at the world through such a different lens than those around him, right? He yeah. looked at it from that lens of possibilities, right? I think he's been quoted as saying something to the effect of, I'm going to slaughter it, mm -hmm. but something to the effect of my customers don't know what they want until we tell them kind of thing. And I think uh, that sounds brash and arrogant in some terms, but when we think about the iPhone and some of the products that were rolled out from Apple, I think it rings very, very true, right? The, Steve yeah. Jobs was solving problems that none of us even knew that we had yet uh, in some respects. And so I would just love to engage with him in dialogue and kind of ideate with him and pick his brain around innovation and possibilities, but also leadership. I think he was yeah. a, somewhat of a controversial leader, a brash leader, maybe a bully of sorts, but he wanted yeah. perfection and pursued that in many, many forms. So, you know, in terms of the, the, mm -hmm. the meal or the, the course we would serve, I think he was 
noted as a vegan, which I maybe exist on the very opposite end of that spectrum. So I think food choice might be interesting. We'd have to pick something to make sure he was comfortable and open to the dialogue that I would look forward to having with him. So, so I think Steve Jobs would be my choice there. Interesting. And, and you said one thing that, you know, our customers don't really know what they want till we tell them or, you know, we have something. So when I hear this from you, I'm able to relate it because this is what we have also realized and what makes that. Really, no one knows that they need it because people feel it's maybe good to have. But when they have it, they feel they actually needed that. So again, you're going to talk more about digital and digitalization in the next uh, section that we have. But really great thoughts, Casey, and uh, a lot of learning again. So yeah, good to know that it's yeah, Steve Jobs. One question for sure. Okay, so now that we have warmed you up, and I hope that you're ready. So let's dive into some of the questions that our listeners would be really eager to know and, you know, kind of know from your expertise. So again, Casey, can you give us a broad overview of the top three digital innovations currently reshaping the insurance industry and impacting the sector? Now, this one is really tricky. It's a, it's a good question. And I think technology, obviously, is a pervasive element is impacting any number of things with the, the broader economy and so forth. My expertise certainly rests within our insurance claims specifically. So my answers are likely going to skew that direction just for that purpose. But when I look at the claims environment that we work in, a very dynamic environment, it's constantly changing environment. We, we focus in our claims environment specifically on four areas of accountability. We call it our balanced accountabilities or our four pillars. And specifically that what, what we look at in, in that arena is number one, our customer experience. You know, how, how are we delivering value to our customer? What, what are we doing from a product and service standpoint to make sure that we or attracting new customers and sustaining the customers that we have currently. The other three that we look at are accuracy, making sure that we, we pay what is owed, right? We have a duty and an obligation to our policyholders, but as well as those uh, that we're liable to that may be uh, affected in that regard. Uh, number three, we, we uh, look at um, the efficiency that we do that, making sure that we're doing that cost effectively as expediently as possible to make sure that we're um, solving and, and rectifying those claims um, as quickly as we can. And then lastly, uh, our fourth pillar is around our internal value proposition, our, our, our own employees, our, the engagement, we call it, making sure that we're investing in them, that, that uh, we're skilling them up to make sure that they're able to deliver at their full capability. So when I think about technology in this space, certainly touches all four areas of our accountability in a big and meaningful way. Uh, and again, we could take the conversation any number of different areas, but my mind immediately goes to a few technologies. Um, first and foremost, I think about, you know, the impact that telematics has had on our world. And when I talk about telematics, you know, we've applied that in the insurance industry, probably most prominently in the in our underwriting space, trying to understand our customers' yeah. driving habits, their behaviors, yeah. making sure that we uh, are learning from that, adapting, adjusting, creating products aligned with that. But I, my mind goes immediately to the interesting claims applications that might mm -hmm. stem from that. I think about the impact that could have on accident scene service options, perhaps dispatching mm -hmm. OCHA to meet you at the scene of an accident, right? I think about maybe an immediate claim filing option to allow our adjuster to or near immediately be in contact with you uh, having just been at a loss to start that process of recovery right away, right? Without having to wait. I think about enabling us with some, maybe some better vehicle damage predictions, right? If we know the G-force was of a, a certain caliber in the vehicle, yeah. can we start making some assumptions or making some informed decisions to better handle that claim and route the vehicle to expedite and speed up the process? So there's just a ton of potential that exists in that area of telematics, you know? On the other side of that, I think there's 
you know, a world that we've already started to apply in the yeah. avenue of machine learning and automation, yeah. AI, certainly within the last few years has taken off in terms of the application. We're just now starting to scratch the surface in terms of what's possible. But I think about how can we personalize our service option for our customer a little bit more meaningfully, right? How can we increase the speed and the accuracy for our customer to try and get them back on the road to recovery that much sooner than they might've been otherwise? Uh, many people look at AI and think, well, it's just, just gonna take our job. It's gonna replace us. And I look at that very differently, specifically in frames, because we have such talented individuals. Our adjusters are so talented in terms of their empathy and their ability to assist our customers and walk them down through that difficult time period that mm. going to be our adjusters walking in parallel with this technology that's just going to amplify our abilities and allow us to be that much better and more impactful in, in terms of what we do. So yeah, technology, you know, very much reshaping the landscape of what's possible and, and what uh, exists in terms of our potential in insurance, but you know, even more specifically in the claims environment. Got it. Yeah, that was very nicely articulated, Casey. And you spoke a fun thing, right? When you would be assisting your customers, it's very important. There would be a lot of things going on with the customer. So to be able to assist and having that empathy along with, because AI can never replace that part which your claims and adjusters yeah. are doing. And yeah. I have felt that being closely involved with this particular sector. So yeah. could feel a lot of it. And also at times when we would have gone ahead and claimed for certain insurance. So, yep, oh. nicely articulated. Okay, now moving on, I have another question for you. So how is the increasing availability of data transforming insurance practices? I know some of it we spoke right now, particularly in underwriting and claims processing. And can you also elaborate on specific ways you think digital innovations will enhance the customer experience in the insurance within the next few years? Yeah, no, big question, very broad question. I think data really rests at the foot of everything we're trying to accomplish, you know, in terms of our understanding, our analysis of the business. You know, insurance has always been linked to being a very data-rich environment. I think big data is a term that's not necessarily used anymore, but insurance has always been in that conversation of big yeah. data because we do have so much data available at our fingertips. I mean, that starts all yeah. the way, you know, from the point of policy inception, you know, with, you know, how we price our, our products and things of that nature, but extends all the way through Things I've talked about already, how, how we understand our customer at a deeper level. I think one of our goals is making sure that we are offering a, a product that, you know, meets our customers' needs at, at the point of, of that loss. How can we personalize those products and develop products and services that meet them at that point of, in my case, a loss and deliver a service in a much more meaningful way than that? So data helps inform those decisions every single day that we approach that from. You know, at the general, one of the ways... One of the things that we lean into pretty heavily is our, the partnerships we have through our data science team, how we're structuring our data, right? How we're drawing out insights in a, in a much more meaningful way. I think there's a number of pieces of the puzzle that we can put yeah. together, some yeah. desperate, disparate pieces of information that we can put together to kind of try and predict certain things and, and help inform our decision-making. You know, so it prompts a number of interesting questions in that respect. I think about you know, I mentioned uh, predicting total losses earlier. I think about how we can piece those puzzle pieces together a little bit more uh, early in the process to maybe, you know, predict a total loss quicker uh, and take what would have been several days or even weeks down to uh, a decision right away to uh, move a vehicle a certain direction and move that customer to remediation uh, much quicker. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about on the other side, with some of the volatility we've had in the market, uh, particularly in the insurance space, how can we identify market trends quicker to be able to re react faster, right? And maintain a more, yeah. more competitive pos position in our segment. 
to, to again, make sure that we are, you know, a price for our customer as competitively as possible uh, and that we're able to, to react and adjust uh, much quicker than we have historically, where we would have waited, you know, months or quarters yeah. or even years to identify a trend. We can yeah. use the data much more meaningfully to do that quicker. Got it. Makes sense. And one thing that you spoke of on being proactively able to identify, and I think identifying the problem itself at the first place, that could be again answered with some digital innovations, I think is always way to go. Let's say, I think from a perspective, let's say I'm a claim interester and there are so many things I need to do. If there is something which is telling me this is what I need to do, it will obviously get into the muscle memory. And I know the next time when I open, this is what I need to do and I'll be quicker. So I think it has also a lot of link to the efficiency part of it, which is going to be somewhat related to the next question that I have for you. So again, you know, what are the top three challenges your insurance face in adopting these digital innovations and how can they overcome it? I think it's, it's a lot related to the change management part of it, but, yeah. you know, would really like to know a lot of insights from you now that we are actually going live with Botpix on the general. So I'm really excited. What are those things that you have planned internally for your claim people? Yeah, you know, obviously technology is advancing at a very rapid rate. And when we think about uh, technology or tools like ChatGPT, even just a year ago, we were just starting to yeah. understand what like ChatGPT was. And to think that we're now starting to look at implementation or kind of how we can leverage that and lean into yeah. it, very exciting proposition. You know, I think one of the things that we look at at the general in terms of prioritization is, you know, technology for technology's sake is just a shiny new toy syndrome, right? Yeah. And so I think we're really looking to make sure that we're trying to prioritize technologies and solutions that really match our customer's need and match our processes to the extent that, you know, we can provide that best possible outcome for our customer, right? And I think, as you mentioned, there's always, and, and there's a number of headwinds that we face in terms of getting those into our business and introducing those. I think, you know, first and foremost, and you mentioned it uh, around you know, change management, that there's an internal learning curve that exists around any, anything that we introduce. And so I think prioritizing and sequencing and making sure that we're considering the bandwidth of the organization before introducing some of these becomes very, very critical. You know, one of the things we've focused on very heavily in our culture is trying to avoid or move past the legacy mindset, right? Making sure that yeah. we're embracing change, uh, you know, in this, sure. in this day and age, uh, you know, uh, change is a constant, right? And, and there was a leader that I worked with not long ago that said, the pace of change will never be as slow as it is today. And I just think that's so insightful in terms of the world we're living in, in terms of how we need to adopt and embrace uh, some of these technologies. But it's a, it's a very real consideration as we think about introducing these, tours, these tools, the learning curve that comes along with that. And in some cases, the fear that people have that was, we mentioned earlier in the conversation around what, te what these technologies can do or what it means to them in that regard. So I, I think the, the people and the adoption of those technologies certainly comes front of mind for me. But I think on the other side of that, there's, there's also a real consideration, which is the, the, the cost of integration and yeah. the, the time it takes to get those involved. You know, there's a planning process that we consider yeah. much earlier to make sure that we're considering the time needed to get those in place. You know, in addition to getting past legacy mindsets, we're, we're trying to make sure we're getting past legacy systems and that we're staying on the leading edge and prioritizing tools that are going to deliver the greatest value for our customer, you know, that we're constantly competing. Uh, in that space to be ahead of that curve. So yeah, there's a number of headwinds, but I think those are a few that maybe come to mind in terms of things that we actively consider and that become a part of yeah. our, our, you know, our thought process there. Yeah. And, and you spoke of planning, right? And you spoke of adoption. So you mentioned that we need to plan it better to ensure that it's being adopted. Now, again, you shared your planning part of it. So 
In your view, what key strategies should insurance companies adopt to enhance efficiency today? So again, there is a planning and there is a part of it where you would have executed it, right? Especially considering the importance of continuous improvement. That's the way to go. So any real-time examples or real-life examples you have that you would like to share with us? You know, I don't know if I have any examples. I'm going to answer your question maybe a little bit more philosophically than directly, uh -huh. you know. You know, insurance obviously is a very mature industry. And I think the risk yeah. that we have at times is maintaining a status quo approach to things. And I think that's something we've really tried to actively avoid. Constantly be looking at that horizon line and saying, what's coming? What do we need to be thinking about? Where do we need to be going or positioning ourselves to be an active participant in the industry and, and remain competitive? My dad always used to say growing up that we are always moving forward or moving backward, but we are never yeah. standing still. And I think there's very much a business application right. to that as well that we want to make sure that we're always moving forward. We're always advancing and improving and progressing. You talk about continuous improvement. Yeah. Well, that's kind of where my mind goes. So, you know, philosophically, I think about our need mm -hmm. and really as industry, the need for us to be open and agile in our approach, right? The same things that yeah. got us here today are not going to be the things that dictate our success in the next five years, right? Okay. So, you know, so culturally, we talk about failing fast and failing often, right? Failing is very different than failure. You know, trying new yeah. things, I think is a very worthwhile exercise uh, so that we can, we can tinker and toy and experiment and kind of figure out what works best for our business. At the general, we really are focused on embracing those opportunities to blaze yeah. new trails or experiment with new ways of doing our business. And we embrace the opportunity to be the guinea pig on yeah. certain things. You know, I, I mentioned Steve Jobs earlier in the conversation. One of the things he was also noted as saying is that he's as proud of the projects that he said no to as the ones that he said yes, or that he's given a green light to. And I think there's power in that, right? In a good, better, best spectrum, we're looking for those things, those tools, those technology mm -hmm. that are gonna help us get the farthest, the fastest, right? Yeah. And so saying no to something doesn't mean it doesn't have value or it doesn't mean it's worthwhile. Mm -hmm. It only means that we're opting to look for something better or better uh, in our business. So, so again, I think philosophically, that's probably the approach we take or the thought process yeah. mm -hmm. um, in terms of how we guide the business and the teams. And that makes sense. And now because I know a lot, I have worked as a customer success manager with you. And that's one thing that I've seen very differently with the general is open to innovations, right? Like I share certain things. This is what we can implement. This is what we can do. Maybe this is one of the ways where we can strategize better to help the claim adjusters. And it's always welcomed, right? So the part of adopting to that technology and the willingness to adopt is, I think, the key that works for the general. And I have closely observed that's great. I'm glad you've seen that. Yeah, that's a, yeah. a value that's near and dear to our heart and something we've really tried to institute amongst the team, a culture value. Absolutely, it is. Okay, now I have one more question for you. So can you share a case study where digital innovation significantly impacted insurance practices? You spoke some of it uh, in our previous conversations, but anything that you can think of at this point in time, which is like the icebreaker or this brought you to that success? Yeah, I know. Good question. I think, you know, if, if the experience of COVID taught us anything, it was that we need to be willing to adapt and adjust very quickly. I think COVID required us to, to kind of turn on a dime a little bit, both in terms of how we yeah. service our customer and interact with our customer, but also kind of the, the courses of our processes, you know, and working virtually in, 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 in more of that environment. We called that a period of kind of forced innovation to an extent, right? And I, I've said before that I think that period, that year between 2020 and 2021, as an industry really propelled us forward probably three to five years further than we would have been otherwise. And when I think about 
what that means for the general and really the entire uh, AmFam group. You know, one of the things that we've been focused on and getting to a question in terms of a case study has been looking at self-service options for our customers who value that. We have a large segment of our customer base that values the option to, you know, self-service their own claim, to mm -hmm. perhaps file their claim digitally through an app or a web solution, right? To be able to select a body shop that they'd like to be able to work with and schedule their own repair and be in control of that exercise, perhaps to look to a rental car company to get something set up for themselves. You know, no more waiting for an adjuster to, to be assigned right. or to contact them and so forth. They're in the driver's seat. And one of the tools in, in particular that, that, that I'm excited about that we've been able to leverage the last few years specifically is around in that same vein is around our photo appraisal, uh, where we look at damage on the vehicles. We've been able to harness to various tools, uh, uh, artificial intelligence, AI, mm -hmm. to scan and look at uh, photos that are submitted from our customers within mm -hmm. seconds oh. and start sizing up exactly how much damage that we're talking about. And for some of those simpler claims in particular, start preparing an estimate of damage that might have, in other cases, in a, in a prior um, state, taken days or even weeks to prepare, right? And uh, in today's world, this technology gives us the opportunity to prepare that appraisal within seconds, right? So at the point right. the customer submits those photos, we can have an initial version of an estimate turned back around to them within seconds or even minutes to get them back on a path to recovery that much faster. And I just think about the potential or the experience that our customer is seeing through those yeah. processes just like that. And it is so impactful, I think, to the potential and what the future holds uh, as we expand on those capabilities even further. Amazing. So, That's interesting. And when you're about it, like we have really moved forward in that aspect as well. And this is the best thing we can do to our customer. Being a customer and having insurance, this is one of the things I can vouch for to be able to get, you know, quicker replies. And I think it is all related with how quickly we have the data or how quickly, you know, the claim processors have that information. So this is a great thing. And I think that's one of the things that you would be carrying in 2024. Now looking even further and beyond 2024, what are your top predictions for the insurance industry? Now that we are growing in every aspect, what do you think would be like the key takeaway for 2024 and further? So if there's anything I've learned over the last couple of years, it's to expect the unexpected, right? To adapt, to adjust. And so, you know, I don't know that I'm ready to make predictions because undoubtedly I will be wrong. I'll probably be eating my words at a later point, you know, but I, I think the future holds a number of interesting questions that have yet to be answered, right? And, and answering those questions, I think becomes the very interesting proposition here. I think there's one thing we know for certain, right? That our customer expectations are changing daily, all right? Uh, what they expect from us as their insurance provider how they expect to interact from us, both at a point of sale, but also at the point of claim, right? What, what are those expectations that they have for this and how can we meet them in those expectations? We've talked about a number of technologies in terms of kind of offering more of an omni-channel approach for our customers. You know, if we have a customer that would rather uh, engage with us through email, how can we do that most effectively? If we have a customer that would you know, prefer the app or the web environment, how do we engage with them in the most meaningful way? We have another customer segment, certainly, that loves that personal interaction and loves to you know, converse over the phone and work directly with their adjusters. So I think there's exciting questions yet to be answered in that oh space God. in terms of where we can meet our customer, where it um, best meets their needs. But alternatively, when I think about the question, I think about changing climate patterns. I think about the increase in accident frequency and severity. You know, I think about as an insurance company, things that we sh can and should be thinking about in terms of how perhaps we can take more proactive steps 
to help our customers mitigate impact of their losses or even perhaps avoid a loss altogether, right? There's technology out there when you think about the internet of things or connected devices uh, to where we can start thinking about proactive alerts or how we can lean into telematics or other Mm -hmm. information sharing to, again, try and mitigate those losses or the impacts or even avoid them altogether. And that's an exciting proposition uh, for me. And then, you know, maybe the last thing I think about is how we, uh, given the scale of our business, how we as insurance companies can create value-added partnerships and maybe even digital handshakes throughout the marketplace to drive value to our customers through ways that we would have never thought or our customer would have never even thought possible, right? Allowing them to tap into aspects of their claim or elements to help them be made whole again that that we've never explored previously. So again, I'm not making any predictions. There's no crystal ball being pulled out here, but I do think there's definitely some interesting questions yet to be answered in the industry and so much potential for us to explore new avenues for value uh, to our customer. Agreed. And like I always say, being a customer, we can always relate to those part of it. I think it has a lot to do with the experience. I am always more inclined towards where we have a better experience. We get quicker replies. And that's going to happen once, you know, we have all of the claim adjusters, processors, they know what they need to do and what they need to provide. So faster, quicker, the better. Those are those four pillars I mentioned. So absolutely. (laughs) So this has been an incredibly insightful conversation. Thank you so much, Casey, for sharing your invaluable perspective on the digital innovations in the insurance industry, because I don't think so we had that earlier on our show. And again, thank you so much for doing it. Don't forget, guys, you can catch all our podcasts on the major platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and a lot more. You can also ping to Casey if you want to know more about it, because this was a really insightful conversation. And I think I'm going to bug you a lot more, Casey, in our upcoming calls. I welcome (laughs) it. Thank you, Shreya. The pleasure was mine. Okay. So guys, just search for the Digital Adoption Show and hit subscribe and stay connected with our latest episodes. And this is your host, Shreya, signing off for the day. Thank you so much. 